Great to be back uh, here at Hope Church. Uh, genuinely, as um, we've we've popped down a few times in between. Uh, obviously, we, we we live in Belfast, um, but but we've been coming down a few times and really genuinely enjoyed being here. And great to be invited back uh, to speak once again. Um, I said this last time. I'll say it again. Uh, a well-known preacher once said that uh, if a pastor invites you to speak once, you can rest assured that you're at least slightly better than some of the best the some of the other options out there. Um, but if he invites you to speak twice, you can rest assured that you're slightly worse than he is. Okay, so uh, I, but I, I'm okay with that. I've got, I've got thick enough skin uh, that no, genuinely is a privilege to be back and uh, really enjoy coming here. Really uh, have a lot of respect for Craig and Becky and uh, just for what you guys are doing as a church. It really is good fun to be here. Craig asked me to bring something that's sort of a post-Easter message and, and you've kind of got about four options. Um, you've got... You know, Peter's restoration, you've got the Emmaus Road experience, you've got Doubting Thomas, and then you've got the one that I'm going to preach, uh, which is the Great Commission. So if you have a Bible, and uh, if you've heard of the Great Commission, you probably know where it is. If, if you, you don't, uh, then it's in Matthew chapter 28. And the title uh, for today's message is Resurrection Life for a Dying World. Resurrection Life for a Dying World. And um, do you know what? I absolutely love Easter. Anyone else here just love Easter as like a worship moment? Yes, like you enjoy being in church on Easter. Say a few nods, thank you. Um, I, I genuinely find Easter just, for me, it's the best day of the year to be in church. I, I cannot fathom not being in church on an Easter Sunday. Uh, it, it is the most joyful, uh, powerful worship that you can have, I think. Um, and, I, and I know that what we talk about is always true. But there's something about Easter that just feels a little bit special, a little bit exciting. It was great last week. The band opened on like the third verse of the song where they got into singing about the resurrection, like straight, you know, most songs you have a verse about, you know, general life and then you have one about the death and then it gets into the resurrection. They went straight into the resurrection. I was just like, Yes, straight in there, uh, straight into worshiping. It was great. Uh, and great message from Craig. We heard, um, spoiler alert, Jesus rose from the dead. Anyone here doesn't know that, I've ruined it for you, but you can go back and get the details uh, if you want to listen. Um, here's the question, though. Uh, what now? What now? Uh, what do we do now that Easter is passed? Now, because uh, this isn't Easter, just so if you're not aware, it was last Sunday. Uh, I'm not to say I'm not excited to be in church this Sunday, but nonetheless, it's not Easter. And most of us will have gone out in the last week or so, and uh, you've gone back to your normal life, that high of Easter, if you enjoy that sort of spiritual mountaintop moment, uh, will have descended into your everyday week and everyday life. Uh, for me, uh, I, I've been doing a bit of gardening, been, been um, as not as a hobby, been, been working with it um, and, and it was snowing uh, which I, I don't enjoy to be honest I can't f- snow like at Easter it's nowhere near Christmas no wintry feeling at all okay no Christmas always winter it was like Narnia okay when it was bad in Narnia so I wasn't happy about that and you go out into your normal life and that victory of Easter that moment of spiritual like this is it this is what we're about can seem absent. It it can seem like it's very detached from what we're doing. And and it can also feel like if you look at the world more broadly, you look at what's happening in society, uh, you look at what's happening in the Western world at the moment and the trajectory of Christianity and the trajectory of the church in our society, in our world, uh, and you can 
really wonder what that um, what, what that victory that last Sunday talks about is accomplishing. Like, what is it doing? Because because I would say, and without getting into uh, too much detail, but in a single generation in the West, we have gone from Christianity is is good for all to it is good for you but not for me to not good at all. Essentially, like if you, it is a negative thing in large sections of the Western world to call yourself a Christian. That comes with negative connotations, negative issues. Um, the church has declined in the UK from about 30% of uh, the, the population in the 1930s being part of a church to about 10% or so today. And it feels like we're not able to do much to stem that tide, or there isn't much happening to stem that tide. And in spite of that fact, what I want to say here this morning, and what I want to unpack for us today, is you know what, I'm convinced And I think there are people in this room that are convinced that last Sunday still means something this Sunday today. Last Sunday still means something this Sunday. Last Sunday still means something tomorrow on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And it means something not just on Easter Sunday. This isn't Easter Sunday or Sunday services in church, which are kind of a microcosm of that. They are not this sort of form of spiritual escapism where we go and we think about something that is detached from the rest of our lived experience and what we do in this world. Actually, it has a dramatic impact on what we are doing. And yes, do you know what? The nations may rage, kingdoms may fall, but as it says in Psalm 46, there is still a river whose streams make glad the city of God. I believe that river flows out from the cross of Jesus Christ. I believe it flows out from the empty grave and you know what God is in our midst and as it says she shall not be moved the question is though how how does that happen how does the reality of the resurrection impact the rest of our lives what do we do with the resurrection Uh, fortunately we're not left to figure that out for ourselves okay Jesus tells us and he tells us in the great commission I want us to read this, and I want us to read it this morning with slightly new eyes, as I would call it. I I don't want to just sit and crack the whip, uh, because that could be the tendency. You read the Great Commission, and you all go out feeling very condemned that you're not doing a good enough job, right? Now, I don't want to do that. The reality is, some of us, do you know what? We may need to respond. We may need to be doing more, but, but, but I don't want us to read it through that lens. I want us to try and draw out a little bit more of what Jesus is, in fact, saying here in the Great Commission. So uh, let me read it for us. Uh, Matthew 28, and it's verses 16 to 20 is what I'm going to read. It says this. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay, so my, my like kind of first point here this morning is this, and this is an important point. Jesus does not tell us to go and make disciples. Okay? That got about the reaction I expected, by the way, in the room. Okay, Jesus does not, don't, you didn't mishear me, Jesus does not tell us to go and make disciples. Or rather, 
Jesus does not merely tell us to go and make disciples. What it actually says is, go therefore and make disciples. Cheesy Christian line, when you see a therefore in the Bible, you've got to see what it's there for. Okay, yes. So, he is saying something. He doesn't just tell us, go out, go and do this, go and figure it out. He gives us a, a context and an aim as to why we go and what the purpose of our going is. Okay, we are going not merely to go and make disciples, but we are going because Jesus has all authority over all nations and therefore all people must obey all that he has said. That is what, is, that is what has happened in the resurrection. It has shifted the establishment of Jesus' authority on earth and it, it, it drives us to go and make disciples with that in mind. Uh, let, let me illustrate that. Um, has anyone here ever bought cheap clothes on eBay, right? Has anyone here ever bought cheap clothes on eBay and regretted it shortly thereafter? Okay, right. Yes, you've done that. Okay. I remember one time I bought a, uh, I, it was kind of like this. This is a long-sleeved top with little buttons. And it had, how do we lacy, lacy, lacy thing? That's sounds right. <laughs> it had a lace. One singular lace. It wasn't lacy. And uh, anyway, it, it was, it was, I was, I don't know if it went for brown or green, but it looked kind of cool. It looked kind of, you know, and it was, uh, the pictures of it were nice, but it was worth about seven quid. And I, I, or that's, I paid about seven quid for it. And it was worth about seven P whenever it arrived. Okay. It was the cheapest material. It was some awful, like, lycra type thing, skin tight, way too tight. I, I, I kind of looked like I was going to do the Robin Hood ballet whenever I put it on. Okay, deep cut and everything. It was, oh, it was just grim. Sometimes, right, we can, uh, we, we, we can imagine that Jesus has asked for something and give him something other than what he has asked for. Jesus has purchased something in the resurrection. And it is our duty as the church to actually pay attention to what he has bought and seek to do that. Jesus has done something, won something, conquered victory over something, is doing something. And it is our duty as the church to actually listen to what it is that he is saying and listen to all of it. It's not enough for us as the church to merely go, we're going to give you our best shot at what we think you might want, whenever he's been entirely clear as to what he wants. So, so we, we, I think we've done this in the Western church. I think we've misunderstood uh, a lot or, or a portion of the Great Commission. Because I think what we hear is, when you hear, go and make disciples of all nations, you see that written up somewhere, you know, it's a famous Bible verse. You kind of think, right, that is, go and help some people pray a prayer of commitment to Jesus. Go and help some people understand some fundamentals and as soon as they kind of, you know, sign on the dotted line, put their hand up, whatever it might be, that's my job done. We'll call them converts. They're in. They're good. And what we end up doing or accidentally end up doing is we chop off the beginning of the Great Commission where Jesus says, I've got all authority. And we chop off the end where it says, obey everything. And we just focus on that middle bit. We kind of pull it out of the brackets. You know, brackets and maths make a big difference, right? Bod mass, anyone remember that? Yes. Uh, the blank faces. You guys did not pay attention to maths class, okay. Um, so, so what we end up doing is... is, is 
Do you know what? We, we think that the sole purpose is to go and make converts. And we'll, we'll kind of twist the version of Jesus, whatever it is that's palatable enough to this world, that people will agree and say, yeah, I kind of like him. Get them warmly disposed to some version of Jesus. That's what we think we're called to do sometimes. At least it's how we act. The question, like conversion is part of the Great Commission, don't get me wrong. But the question is converted from what and to what? What is this? What is being converted and what are we being converted to? That is defined by what Jesus says in the therefore. And it's defined also by what we say at the end. Because we've forgotten the therefore, what we end up doing is forgetting to teach people to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. We've knocked off the ends of this. And remarkably, remarkably, oftentimes in in the Western church, we have done this in the name of completing the Great Commission. We've said to complete the Great Commission, we don't teach everything that Jesus has commanded. We we, we can't talk about that because that would not help us fulfill the Great Commission. And so what we end up doing is creating a sort of spiritual veneer that we just put on society and the world and people's lives and we go, do you know what, that's enough. That's all we need to do. Rather than transforming them to recognize that Jesus is who he is and therefore we are called to do what he says. If we end up uh, with, with Sunday services in the church around the UK packed full of people who are not seeking to be obedient, not interested in being obedient to everything that Jesus has said, we cannot turn to Jesus and go, hey, we fulfilled the Great Commission. We we can't do that because Jesus will say, that is not what I asked for. That is not what I ordered. I wanted something different. When When we refuse to teach the nations to obey everything that Christ commands, we are not obeying the Great Commission, we are disobeying it. And in fact, and this sounds heavy, but but let it sound heavy. Um, For me, I think this almost functions as like a practical denial of the resurrection in the life of the church. We don't deny it explicitly. We, We acknowledge it mentally. But we're not really calling this world to acknowledge that because Jesus is risen, he owns everything. And if he owns everything, that includes you and that includes all of you and all of what you do. And we're not driving that message into the world. And so what we've ended up with is not the world, or not the church discipling the world, but the world discipling the church. And I think that the church in the last 50 years in the West has likely been more transformed by the world around it than the world around it has been transformed by the church. So that is what the Great Commission does not mean. Okay, so what does it mean, right? We need to unpack what it does mean. If I can give a, a sort of, and, and there's a lot in the Great Commission. Okay, like this could be a, it could be a full series quite easily. Um, there's full books written on it. Actually, I read one in preparation for this. It was very good. Um, called The Greatness of the Great Commission, um, which, which uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed. But to, to, give, to give a sort of direction, emphasis, a little thing for you to sort of remember. In summarizing what I think the heart of the Great Commission is, it is this. It is victory, and I would say surely but slowly. And I put them in that order rather than slowly but surely. We often imagine that Jesus is calling us to go into the world and fail in this, right? If if you ask people around you, are we going to go and disciple the nations? They'll think, well, we're going to go try, like, 
we won't actually be able to. We'll give it our best shot, but this isn't actually going to work meaningfully. Can you imagine being with Jesus on on this mountain in Galilee? And we're not sure exactly which one it is or different ideas, but... Um, and Jesus goes, he's risen from the dead. This is the risen, you know, God of the world, king of the universe, Jesus himself. He goes, I have all authority in heaven and earth. Go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything, and I will be with you. And you go, yes, Jesus, I hear what you're saying, and what you're saying is we're going to fail at that, right? That, that, that doesn't feel like the emphasis that Jesus has here. Jesus, I don't believe, is telling us to go on some sort of, you know, kamikaze, you know, it's not the great suicide mission, it's the great co-mission. Jesus is not saying, it's very clear here, Jesus does not go, this world is toast, I'm done with it, just get as many people out as you still can, you know, whilst you still can, just just rescue as many as possible, right? This is not, the church is not uh, in the Vietnam War, trapped behind enemy lines. We are not the last helicopter out of Saigon, if anyone knows that reference, okay? God is not trapped in a land war in Asia, okay? That's, that's not the situation here. What Jesus is saying is, I have all authority, not, not just in heaven, but also on earth. That, that is, I mean, I think that surprises us, right? How, how many of us, we acknowledge Jesus, he's ruling in heaven right now, I don't think many of us reckon that he's ruling on earth right now. But he says, I am ruling on earth now because of the resurrection. And what I'm telling you, my church to do, is go and take what is rightfully mine, my world, by storm. Go and claim it. Go and take back what is mine. He's not saying, I am hiding you behind enemy lines in a war that you're going to lose so that you can get a few people out. He's saying, no, 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 no. I have already won the victory. Now I am sending you to invade and bring the kingdom of God into every aspect, every area of society, every heart, every home. That is what I'm telling you to do. This isn't get on the lifeboats. This is go and launch an invasion. Not not cling on until the end, but actually go and seize the ground that he has already taken for us. The language is clear. Jesus is commissioning an invasion force. Jesus is saying that this all belongs to me. It is mine by right because of the resurrection. Because I have risen from the dead, every blade of grass, every political system, every idea, every, every thought, it is all mine by right. And I want you to go and get it. As Abraham Kuyper, a great theologian, once wrote, There is not one square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry out, Mine! And he's saying to us, it is mine, go get it. Now that is a little bit bigger than pray this prayer so that when you die, you can go to heaven and listen to Christian radio in the meantime. Okay? And there's some good Christian radio stations out there. I have no beef with Christian radio stations. Okay? They're fine. Actually, they may be helping us do this. But nonetheless, it is more. It is more than that. It is more powerful than that. I, I, I think we fail to understand the power of the resurrection sometimes in the church. We acknowledge it, but 
And let's be honest, we'll never fully grasp it, but we don't seek to grasp it. We, 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 I think we talk a lot about what the cross accomplished and paying for sin and breaking chains and all of that. We, we forget that the resurrection is a key, key, key part of what Jesus has done for us. Um, so, so let me try and, try and help us with that a little bit. Um, we're told in, in the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis 2, uh, God says to man, um, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. On the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And mankind eats from the tree. And what happens? Well, death comes into the world. And we're told in Romans 5 that from that time until the time, until Jesus, death reigned. Death, death is in charge. Death has like a, a sense of dominion over this world. Obviously, there's a, an overarching rule of God, but, but in terms of like as a practical ruler for the world, no, no dictator, no tyrant has ever come even vaguely close to the, the brutality and the totality and the, the complete sway over everyone uh, that death has had. Every tyrant has ultimately succumbed to the one true tyrant, which is death itself. So death has reigned. And then along comes Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Jesus doesn't merely avoid death. Uh, we, we have in the Bible, you know, various characters who, who didn't die, um, but they avoided death. Uh, like Elijah goes up uh, in a chariot of fire. Enoch, he, he walks with the Lord and was no more. It implies that he sort of, I don't know, just went straight up to heaven, basically. Cool. Um, you know, but, but Jesus doesn't do that. What Jesus does is uh, he takes on death. He, he fights death. Um, it's kind of like, has anyone here seen uh, Black Panther, the movie? Yes. Yes. Okay. I love Black Panther. It's in my top five like, favorite Marvel films, which is high praise because there are 15,000 Marvel films. and They release a new one every week and they all make a billion dollars. And I'm one of those people that goes and pay. I would pay for a two-hour movie of Captain America having a nap. Okay, I would. Okay, Infinity Snore. I would watch it, right? I would. Um, but G- in, in Black Panther, there's this kingdom called Wakanda, and uh, there's the rightful king, and then there's a challenger, and they've got to have a fight, and whoever wins that fight becomes the rightful king of Wakanda. That is their system of coronation. And, uh, which is not, by the way, how we do coronation in the UK, okay? So it's not, we're not expecting, you know, uh, Charles or whatever to have to have a fight with someone else uh, whenever, whenever it's his time to take the throne. But that's, that's how it works there. And that is roughly what Jesus does with death. Jesus doesn't merely avoid death. He goes into death's territory. He goes into the grave, takes on death, and then comes back out with the keys. Can somebody get, give like a quiet amen to that? Okay, that's a good thing, right? Jesus defeats death and he's nicked his keys. That is good. And so what, what happens is that Jesus, and what he's saying here at the start of this is that Jesus now has the authority that death once had. The total reign, the, 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 the ubiquity, the, the, the reach, the, the, the totality of the reign, what death once had, how death once reigned, Jesus now reigns on earth. Jesus reigns the way death reigned, right? And because Jesus conquered death, I believe Jesus can conquer the nations. I believe he can do it. I believe that Jesus here is not merely telling us to attempt to disciple the nations. I believe he is telling us to actually disciple the nations. That is, he is telling us to win. 
He is telling us to go and have victory. We are told uh, in Psalm 2 that if Jesus asks the Father as the nations for his inheritance, he will give them to him. I do not think that Jesus forgot to ask. I don't think he got up from the resurrection and forgot, what was that thing I was meant to ask you about? No, no, no. I think he said, right, I have completed the resurrection. Now, Father, give me the nations. And I just don't believe that the same Jesus who succeeded in the incarnation coming to earth as man or in the crucifixion dying for our sins or in the resurrection rising from the dead is now going to fail in the great commission discipling the nations and bringing them to himself. I believe that this king who we serve and he is a king, he does not lose battles. He does not lose He will bring the nations to himself. I am absolutely convinced of that. Now the reality is though that we still see people dying around us, right? Death still got a 100% track record. Um, We still see death. So so what is happening here? Why, Why is, if Jesus says he's all authority in heaven and earth, why are we not seeing death currently, um, uh, vanquished, disappeared, gone from the kingdom. Why is it still here? Well, the, well, Jesus tells us, um, and there are lots of parables which talk about this idea of growth of the kingdom, that this is not an immediate thing. Um, at Colossians 2, uh, which is not Jesus, it's Paul writing this, he said, it says that Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them in him. So uh, the Roman armies, uh, whenever they would go and conquer a nation, what they would do at the end, if they, if they, if they uh, won a battle, uh, at the end of the battle, they would return to Rome and they would bring with them the disarmed and uh, publicly shamed leaders of that army. They'd bring the generals, they'd bring the kings, and they would engage in what's called a triumph, which is what this passage is referring to, what that verse is referring to, where they would march them through the streets of Rome, showing that they were victorious and that this army had failed to defeat them. And at the end of that march, the Romans, not a lovely bunch of people, they would execute their enemies. And what Paul says here is that That is exactly what Jesus is doing with death right now. His spiritual enemies, not people, but spiritual enemies. The forces that are contrary to uh, the kingdom of God. That he has disarmed them. He has beaten them in battle. They are disarmed. Oh, death, where is your sting? Right? Death, if you die as a Christian, you're straight into glory. To live as Christ, to die is gain. Death is a defanged snake. It is a disarmed enemy. He has conquered death at his resurrection and he's going to execute death at our resurrection. That is what Jesus is doing. And the time in between from Jesus' resurrection to our resurrection at the end of the age, do you know what that is? That is Jesus' victory lap. That is Jesus' victory lap. That is him on the march, not a march to war, but a victory march through the nations. That is Jesus marching throughout the earth. And to what is he doing right now? He is showing that his enemies are under his feet. 
He is showing the world that you know what? He can save to the uttermost. Right now, across the globe, today, there are people being saved right now for eternity. There are chains being broken off people right now because of Jesus through his church. There are blind eyes being opened right now, today. There are people whose lives are being changed today. Do you know what? There are political systems that are heaving and struggling under the weight of the people of God. Evil systems that are built up and that cannot and will not last because Jesus is on the victory march through his church and he is not just on it last Sunday, he is on it this Sunday and every Sunday and every day in between. Jesus is on his victory lap and every single Sunday we get to have a mini Easter. Okay, we do. Which, by the way, is a great theological argument for why mini eggs should be available year round. Can I get an amen, right? What it says, God's favorite Bible verse is Psalm 110, verse 1. That's the Bible verse in the, New, uh, in the Old Testament, which is quoted the most times in the New Testament. And what it says is this. It says, the Lord says to my Lord, so it's the Father speaking to the Son, It says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So where is Jesus? Sitting at the right hand of God. How long is he going to be there? Not until his enemies win, until his enemies lose. That is, until they are humiliated, shown up, brought under his feet, shown to be nothing. And, and, and yes, it is a process, and yes, it takes time, and yes, I'm not even talking about the fact that there won't be dips or challenges and what will happen at the end of the age. I'm not talking about that, not getting into that, but the reality is that from Jesus' resurrection until his return, the enemies of Jesus, the spiritual forces that are keeping people in captivity and bondage are being brought under his feet. And we are growing, the church is growing like yeast, like a mustard seed. It starts small and it works its way throughout the globe. And this started not with a great army. This started with 11 losers who had run away from Jesus just weeks prior to this. And he tells them, I have all authority. Go take the nations for me. And in a single generation, they had reached the entire Roman Empire. And within a few hundred years, the Roman Empire itself became a Christian empire. And you know what? This thing has happened over and over again throughout history. Jesus is not uh, losing throughout the course of history. He is winning. And I think he's enjoying his victory lap, everyone. I think he's sitting up in heaven. He's going to take his time. And he's just going, oh, there there goes China. All right. There's Africa. There's, There's Iran. And we think in the West that we can do something to stop the kingdom of God advancing. Do you know what? We cannot. We cannot. Nothing can stop Jesus from winning because Jesus has already won. So when it comes to what do we do with the resurrection, how does the resurrection impact our daily lives? The Great Commission is the application of the resurrection. The Great Commission is Jesus saying, I have risen from the dead, now apply that to the entire world, please. That is what he's doing. So so that shifts how we view challenges, right? Uh, Let let me give one sort of application point for us. Um, Whenever we face challenges, and whether they be personal challenges... Um, whether they be uh, global, um, cosmic challenges, whether it's uh, the fall of the Western world or whether that is you and your life having a genuine challenge. 
Um, I don't want us to, I don't want to be glib about anything. I don't want to sort of say that those aren't real because they are real challenges. But the trajectory for the church is not a downward one into defeat. It is an upward one into victory. We can have joy because Jesus has already won. Whatever happens around us, the, the, the Western world, this is, uh, this is a, this is, I, I believe what Jesus is doing is he will use this to show that his enemies are under his feet. This idea of that we can do the world our way and that we can live our way without God, it will fall. Secularism as, as a concept, as an ideology will fall and the church of Jesus Christ is going to remain. It will be there. And any challenges, any, any, what we find throughout history is that persecution, I'm not saying we have that at the moment, but persecution broadly has worked as, as fertilizer and as weed killer for the church. That is, it has helped the church to grow and it has purified it. It has brought it to be a purer church. And Christianity has a remarkable, remarkable track record of overthrowing the governments that tried to outlaw it. They have all, I mean, Roman Empire, USSR, Christianity, vital in the fall. China right now, Christianity, putting that government, not because it's a political movement, not because uh, politics can save, but because politics must be saved, because Jesus is Lord of all. Uh, and uh, one, one uh, theologian, uh, his name's Herbert Schlossberg, um, which is a hard name to say, but fun to say. Um, he says this, he says, the Bible can be interpreted as a string of God's triumphs, each carefully disguised as a disaster. That's what we see in the world today. Do you know what? Every time there's a disaster, it is just Jesus bringing about his victory. Let me uh, invite the band to come back up and join us. Um, the great thing about the Great Commission, I don't think we can overestimate how great it is. I don't think we can overestimate just how total what Jesus has said here is. All authority on earth, not just in heaven, in heaven and on earth, is mine. That's remarkable. That is huge. And it contains with it the power to accomplish it. I will be with you always. So that is the the same God, the same word. Jesus is the word. uh, The same God who commands light to be, and it is The same God who commands stars to go out into space, and they do. The same God who commands land and sea to separate, and they do. The same God who has separated earth and sky by his word. The same God who has done that has commanded his church to go and take the nations, and it will. It absolutely will. And it is not because of us. It is because of what he has done, and he is with us. That is the Great Commission. So we're called to go and do that. We're called to go and disciple the nations. Uh, what does that look like? Well, st- start with you. Obey the commandments of Jesus. And start with your family. See, make sure that they know Jesus, are baptized, saved, and obey the commandments of Jesus. And then build your church around you and make sure that others or know Jesus and obey the commandments of Jesus and then just see what happens. And You know what? Build a church building so more people can come and hear and obey the commandments of Jesus. Like that is what we are called to do. It's not that you as an individual disciple all the nations. It's that the church disciples the nations.